Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. The, the average person looking for something to do on a Friday night can look at some amazing user-generated content of different things to do and then go deep and see what the super fans say about that activity, book it all in one, and that's where we're heading. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are LA Tech podcast episode shout out goes to Abel Hernandez. Abel Hernandez, thank you so much for engaging with us on the We Are LA Tech Instagram. We appreciate you. Be sure to say hello to Abel Hernandez on Instagram at Abel Product. That's A-B-E-L-P-R-O-D-U-C-T. Tell him you found him via We Are LA Tech. So welcome back to the BRLA Tech Podcast, celebrating founders, operators, investors, and community builders across LA. My name is Maria, and today I happen to be your guest host. This episode, however, will not be about me, unfortunately. And therefore, I'm super excited to introduce you to the man of the hour, the one and only, my friend Andy Bausch. So Andy here is a co-founder at a LA-based startup called Morty. They are building Strava for geek culture. Tell us a bit more about who you are and what you do. Thanks, Maria. Uh, really appreciate you having me on and, yeah, excited about talking about geeks. I am the CEO at Morty. Yeah, I've been working on this for a couple of years with a, a really brilliant team. And I think Strava for, for, for nerd culture still does a decent job defining what we're building. The, the bigger picture is you know, just making the most fun way to find awesome things to do and get together and definitely starting with geeks. So tell me a bit more about Morty. Uh, so how, how did you guys start at the company? Like what inspired it and, uh, and how it all kind of, you know, came to be an actual startup? So Morty kind of came out of a hobby of mine initially. The, the initial spark from it came from something I've done over the last 10 years. Uh, professionally, I've been, been a chief technology officer, VP of engineering, that kind of stuff. But personally, I've made art out of Lego bricks for 10 years. I know this seems unrelated. Okay, now we, we have to hold on that one, I think. But maybe just finish on the Morty thing and we're going to, you know, come back we to it later. To Lego. Yeah, the, the, the long and short of it is started making art out of Lego bricks, um, grew from selling on Etsy to selling to Miley Cyrus and Lil Wayne and like uh, all these celebrities and, and uh they're just these big wall hanging Lego mosaics. And it was, it was a fun side thing that grew into uh, a bigger, you know, more fun side thing. But I learned 
two important things on the way. One, just the power of geeks in starting your company. I think that they're a group that's been ignored in a lot of ways in consumer apps. Um, there are a few companies building towards that, but not that many. And there's not that much funding, honestly, going towards that. And I saw the geeky Lego community just grow my Instagram following to tens of thousands of people and help me get in front of all these people and really grow this little side hobby into something huge. Um, and I've seen the Lego community grow from few people at some barbecues to there's Lego master TV shows in all these different countries. <laughs> you know, they've been trying to get me to go on. There's uh, yeah, just an insane tailwind of excitement behind that. And I think it's the same with a lot of geeky groups online. They gather on Reddit and Discord in these places. They don't have a proper home, but the amount of passion from from geeks is, is insane. And they're a really good group to start with. The other thing I learned was I did a few interactive art shows. These are things where I'd have hundreds of people coming together and building, you know, four by eight foot Lego pieces together. And I looked at things like Museum of Ice Cream initially with a lot of skepticism and cynicism. I thought these just selfie museums where you pay to take pictures of yourself and post on Instagram were really lame. And I think in doing this show and then attending some more interactive stuff myself, I started to think maybe there's something to this. I think, I think the ways that people want to get together, the formats of entertainment that people are seeking have changed a lot. And we're really just looking for anything that can get us away from looking at our phone for an hour <laughs> with our friends, you know, anything to, to keep from that dopamine addiction from our phones. People are going to bars less often. Yeah, people drink less, but also I think there's a reason. I think people are going, you know, restaurants aren't always the default meeting place and all these little almost micro industries have, have spun up new, new formats of entertainment. And I started digging on that and, and talked to my co-founder, Carlos, about it. And we looked at escape rooms where we started, but we also looked at immersive art and haunted attractions and speakeasies and pinball and <laughs> video game and anime conventions. We realized that there's this almost unbundled theme park that's kind of sprung up and uh, it's kind of happened under our noses, but there are all these mini industries. A lot of them have super passionate groups behind them. And Disney Imagineering used to have this total lock on building really cool, interactive, immersive stuff to do. Now anyone can do it. And so we said, we think we could draw a map through this kind of unbundled theme park. This isn't a phrase I came up with. I was talking to Nick of, of Rec Room <laughs> and <laughs> talking him through it. And he was like, oh, theme park's unbundled. I was like, yeah, you're smart. Um, but yeah, so that's it. I really love the vision uh, of Morty. And um, so when you guys founded the company, was it, how, how much has passed? Like two years now? It's been a couple of years. Yeah. In 2020, um, towards the beginning, we started ideating towards the end of 2020s when we raised a little bit of angel money, totally came on full time, and then have been cranking since then and growing the team and raised a pre-seed last year, raising a seed now. So yeah, it's been two years of full effort and the ideation phase before that. Well, it's not easy, right? Kind of like uh, you have this idea in your mind and then you have to create a product out of it and 
and kind of make sure that you're not the only one who's believing in it. So along the way, like especially just, you know, realizing that you guys were raising and still are raising through a very turbulent times, what can you kind of, you know, as an example, give to other founders who are just, you know, starting up in these super not really good conditions for raising money. Any tips? I think I could talk for an hour just about that. Yeah, (laughs) I think the number one thing is you read Crunchbase and it looks like raising each round of funding is going to be really easy or raising on a product idea will be very easy. That's not the case for 99.9% of founders. And so expect that you'll have to learn a lot. You'll have to get punched in the face a lot and you'll have to keep smiling and doing it again and again. So just (laughs) remember that resilience. Um, Even if you raise some great funds, you know, it may get a bit easier, but fundraising is hard. And what else? I mean, depends on the stage you're at, but early stage, make sure your vision is something that resonates. Make sure you experiment. work so much on getting introductions, warm introductions to investors because cold emails simply don't work. Don't truly, you might have to try it yourself to believe it. Most founders do. Hopefully you won't have to. Hopefully you just believe it. Don't do it. You need to (laughs) spend months trying to get a network of warm introductions and then execute on them in bursts of, you know, frenzy of, of meetings and things like that once you have your pitch locked down and all that. So there's a lot of things that I had to learn uh, when it comes to fundraising, even having been kind of in the co-pilot seat as, as CTO at many startups previously, it's very different when you're in the driver's seat and, and having to do it. So you mentioned about having the difficulty to raise as a first time founder. Well, you were lucky enough to have these you know, they have the network of people to go to uh, when you started this company. Um, a lot of people don't. So I think it's already a, you know, way better head start. And just knowing the fact that you guys are also, you know, based in LA, what resources would you suggest to, to those who are, you know, just starting, but haven't really had the chance to be around the people who know people? It's a great question. I would offer the caveat that Although I've been in the tech industry for 15 years and, and been here, or maybe maybe more, been here in LA for a long time, I've done a bad job at networking, had almost no investor connections directly, basically zero. Oh, really? But how did you, how did you pull it together then? Yeah, I, well, I, I luckily did have professional connections to a lot of people who'd worked in the startup world. A few of them were founders. And founders are the best possible introducers generally to investors. Investors want to take intros from other founders. And so I was able to, there were a few founders that I was close with already, like Zach Brunke of HM Bradley, the, the fintech company here in LA. Um, we were both at, at, at Mucker Lab companies at the same time at that accelerator. And uh, a couple other folks, but I also just had to reconnect with people on my LinkedIn, I scoured my LinkedIn for every single person I was connected with. I did searches over and over again of, you know, okay, show me, you know, anybody that this person's connected to that includes the word capital 
or ventures <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> and so I would pick anybody on my LinkedIn that I thought I was connected, that I knew well enough that they might make introductions for me and that might respect me well enough to do. And so this was hours and hours of scouring my existing connections, trying to connect to founder groups, um, truly anything you can think of, uh, you know, and it's varied who my best sources of introductions have been in each round. One time it was someone who I interviewed at a company thought was great. He didn't end up wanting to move to LA. We didn't hire him, but just reconnected. And we both were working on similar problem spaces. He was an amazing introducer. Then I helped him in his later round. I made introductions that got him funding. And so, yeah, I would say if you can help other people <laughs> to start with, that's awesome. Usually you're just asking for help at the beginning. And oftentimes many founders are open if you ask them for fundraising advice. They're open to taking that call. You say, hey, can I get 15 minutes? First time founder, want to figure out how to raise. Um, you'll often get really good advice. And oftentimes they'll be interested in making connections for you if they resonate with what you're doing and if they feel confident enough in what you're doing. And if they don't, hone your pitch or maybe that person's not the right fit or whatever it is. You don't want that person to make the intro anyway if they if they you know aren't really into it. But yeah, ask, ask for advice, look at the founders that have been funded by VC funds that you want to connect with. And then, you know, maybe soft ask at the end, hey, would you be down to potentially make a connection to any funds that you think are good? Most founders want to do that for other founders. So obviously, San Francisco has always been known as, you know, one of the meccas of, uh, of the tech world. In your perception, how does, you know, how has it changed? Like, Generally, uh, would you ever be looking SF as a base home for Morty or it has never, ever occurred in your mind? I don't think we would move Morty to the Bay Area. I think that the Bay Area is an amazing concentration of talent and capital and um, brilliant people still. And, and it has been. But it's certainly a little bit less of a stranglehold than it once was. It's a lot easier to get a company funded if you're in Miami or Boise or, you know, Europe, right. As you know, has, has a, is starting to have a really strong venture scene and startup scene. And so it's in terms of getting funding, it's not as much of a lock-in in terms of talent. Certainly you'll meet a lot of great people there, but they're also extraordinarily expensive. And if you're trying to be cash conscious at the early days of a startup, you know, I highly recommend having a co-founder and team in, in Latvia, like I do, or, or in another country where cost of living is low, you know, like, yeah, this, uh, your last, uh, kind of note, the cost of living <laughs> where it's not that high as in San Francisco. I mean, yeah. Speaking about talent here, uh, so basically how Morty operates is uh, is fully remotely, right? We're mostly remotely. I would say there's a few of us here in LA and I think, you know, we'll try to build out some more folks in LA. Uh, and then, and then we've got a big strong contingent in Riga and, you know, I like having the ability for teams to get together. We, we in LA office, uh, me and, and our product manager, Brandon get together at least a couple times a week. And then, you know, I think having the product team in one place, maybe when we hire an in-house product designer, having them here will be really good. I think engineering teams, it's a little bit easier to work remotely because 
although you want to have a lot of cross-pollination with a sort of folks defining the product, you also need to sit alone in a room and get stuff done, right? And working remotely can be more conducive to that. So I think we're kind of like, we have multiple, like two locations. I guess you could say we're bipolar, right? We've got Riga, we've got LA, and I'd love to continue to, to build around those poles. And then, yeah, layering on people in other places is always an option. But working in an office is important and we, we make sure we get the team together at least once, um, usually twice a year for extended work in, in the same place retreats where for four to six weeks, me and Carlos will be together and anybody that can join joins for as long as they can. And that's when we get through some of those hard, you know, product tech collaboration questions. And speaking about the team's diversity, do you often see um, in LA, you know, sim similar team concepts as you are having at the moment with Morty? Kind of, you know, one team in, in the US, the other team across the globe? No, I think it's rare for a US company to have a founder in another country. But Carlos is so brilliant that, you know, I couldn't couldn't do anything but but want to work with him. But yeah, most US founders, I think they may have a founder in another city. I think that's very common right now, but it's not ideal, <laughs> in my opinion. And I think it's very common for US companies to have teams that are based in other countries now. I think it's not common for a co-founder to be in another country or for sort of your your team to be kind of split across Europe and the US, I think. But what are you seeing, right? Do you, do you see that as a common pattern? You, you're on the, the other side of the pond, maybe you know better. Not really. I, I also, I, I, I think I tend to agree with you uh, about this not being that kind of, you know, I used practice. Uh, I, but I guess if, uh, I mean, if uh, your co-founder is brilliant, then obviously, you know, no can do under other way. So <laughs> gotta live with what you gotta live with. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. He, he's brilliant and, and, and the team in Riga are people I've worked with for years and, and they're all amazing people and, and like truly brilliant engineers and, and product minds. And so had to work with them. Have you guys worked uh, before already together? How do, you, how do you two kind of, you know, came to be a, a, a founding team? Yeah, Carlos and I, and and along with Sandus and Marcus and ma many of the engineers uh, over in in Europe, all worked together at two prior companies. And I joined as VP of Engineering, and was lucky enough to convince them to follow me to a few other companies after that. But but yeah, I mean, the, the one more thing back to the Bay Area, real quick. I think that the I think there is still really a very strong reason to live there. And, and I didn't mention it, but that's the networking opportunities, right? I've mentioned that I've been bad at networking in my career in LA. It's, I think even harder maybe than some cities because it's so spread out and, and it, there's a strong car culture, but in general, I think living in San Francisco or the Bay area for even a year or two, you will meet so many people that even if they're not super helpful to you right now, can become super helpful to you in the future when they become founders. There's so many more of those. Uh, you know, you happen to 
to come across someone, they're on your LinkedIn, now you're starting a company and, oh, they've done it twice before, or, oh, they're, they're now at a VC fund or those sort of nice happenstance, oh, lucky that I, that I met this person at a meetup kind of thing, I think are incredibly powerful in the Bay Area. They're one of the main reasons that, you know, I, I, if, if I was to have lived there, that's what I think I would have gotten out of it. That's harder in other cities. You know, you just, it's the reason I didn't want to live there partially. <laughs> and it's the reason that I should have, right? I didn't want to live in a city where everybody did the same thing as me. I didn't want to be sitting at a coffee shop working on my startup on my laptop and be like, you know, the screenwriter and aspiring actors here in LA doing the same thing where <laughs> we're all sitting there uh, and we all do the same thing. And I think that's kind of lame about the Bay Area that everyone does the same thing. I also think it's magical too. So, Yeah, the, those few times that I have been in the Bay Area, I have always tried to kind of listen over some of the conversations that I've you know, that are going on within a coffee shop or something. And the, and the the impression that I always get, and it's also the reason why I listen to them, because it's always funny, is that they are, you know, constantly trying to impress each other with the stuff that they are doing. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. I had this one call <laughs> where I did that, and then I raised X, and, and so on. So I usually hear these type of conversations, so I totally kind of, uh, you know, double down on uh, on what you said about, you know, them kind of, you know, doing the same thing. And uh, and I agree that it's uh, from one from one side of the table, kind of funny, but from the other side, it, this is where, this is how you make your business work. And, uh, and it's only by, you know, communicating with people and, and kind of sharing uh, and, and impressing them uh, so that they would, you know, follow uh, or, or help you out on the way. So have you, tr- have you thought like, have you thought about, you know, going to SF uh, once in a while just, you know, to, to get to the right people, to get to the quality of leads? Because I assume it's still quite hard, right, to ex- access like quality of people in, in San Francisco, definitely harder than uh, in some of the emerging cities in, uh, in the States as uh, Miami, right? Yeah, I think that, I think that it's, I don't know, I think it's easier than ever. I, I there, there are two, you know, reasons to go there. I would say one is hiring and the other is fundraising. Again, if you live there, you have these nice, just happenstance, you know, interactions, right? Just like, oh, I happen to run into X person, but not living there. I occasionally fly up there for fundraising meetings, um, various investors, and that's easy to do from LA. I don't go up there for hiring purposes, again, because I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to pay for Bay Area expenses and the prices of, of talent up there. I think that it's, it's, if you already have a strong network up there, great raise enough money to to be hiring there but it's a liability at an early stage to have a really high burn rate before you found product market fit before you have a ton of cash flow and i don't think in most cases we'll hire too many folks up there there's certainly people that i meet but you can hop on zoom and connect other ways and you can evaluate people and we've had a bunch of folks reach out interested in working for Morty that have used the products. You know, they're up in the Bay Area and, and we've hired a few folks part time. There's somebody who may hire full time. I think I think we may do it. But generally speaking, 
I'm not trying to recruit too heavily <laughs> in one of the most expensive cities in the world. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So what's next for Morty? So you guys have now launched your what? Um, which which version is this now in the market? Yeah, so we we launched a an iOS app uh, a little under a year ago, and we launched a web experience a few months ago. And what Morty is today is really sort of you know as you said this kind of Strava for geeks, right? Or or Yelp for escape rooms. We started with escape rooms, and we have a ton of different types of we we have every escape room in thirty countries and a handful of escape room in a box or virtual escape room or, or other things like that on there today. We haven't expanded heavily into the next areas of immersive art and haunted attractions and other things like that yet, but we'll do that soon. We need to hit up our Android users at some point, <laughs> give them give them a lifeline because a lot of people are kind of begging to, to get on there. And what we're building towards is ultimately a few different kind of sub communities around geeky experiential stuff, right? We have a very passionate sub community of escape room players who some of which have tattoos of different badges that you can earn in Morty. And we've been growing, um, you know, about 30% month over month, just from referrals from one user to another and people are retaining at a crazy rate the same rate as, as snapchat was at their seed race and so that's been really great to see in escape rooms now we're ready to repeat it for the next group of passionate people we're ready to make morty more accessible to casual people that aren't you know super fans yet and then build a sort of experiential feed atop all of this so that you know, someone, the, the average person looking for something to do on a Friday night can look at some amazing user-generated content of different things to do and then go deep and see what the super fans say about that activity, book it all in one. And that's where we're heading. We see the, we kind of look at TikTok and, and the many sort of experiential threads there are on there as, as really interesting, but I I'm not going to wish list something on TikTok and remember to come back and do it. I can't click a button and book it. I don't know what my friends think about it. I don't know what others think about it. And I'm not going to log my experience afterwards on TikTok like I do on Morty, right? We look at the way that people used to collect souvenirs uh, and physical, you know, sort of items from, from experiences they had as interesting. And we're building kind of a virtual way of doing that in a way that this experienced generation can capture what they did, remember it like people used to on Instagram with like, here's my avocado toast. Here's this crazy bar I went to. Here's this thing I did. And now Instagram, nobody knows what it will be. It's just like eating itself. But well, we know that it's not what it used to be. That's, that's what we know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's left a gap. And I think that the current experience-driven generations are very interested in having something to replace that and a, a way to find, to track, and to geek out with friends. I totally get the the part where you guys are having a crazy retention from the kind of, you know, your super users, because, all, well, we I think we all know that these kind of community-led um, geek experience have always and forever been 
led by passion. Um, so the, the people that are usually in these communities are super passionate about what they are doing with it. So I think you have a really good leverage there. Uh, but from the other uh, kind of uh, viewpoint, you mentioned about making these experiences more available to let's say a person like me uh, or someone who is, you know, not that into uh, geeky stuff. Uh, how do you plan to kind of open it up? Do you, and, you know, and, and what what's the plan there? And because I see, you know, qu quite a few risks there, but I'm just, you know, eager to find out um, how you see it from your perspective. It's a really good question. Um Hard, hard hitting question. So, so, so the plan has a couple different angles, but I'll say at the high level, you, Maria, probably aren't a super geek of any of the first five sort of subreddits that we're going to build out on Morty. Let's just say, you know, statistically speaking, you're probably not. Most people aren't. But once we have five, 10 different subreddits of interesting things to do, it can become a lot more appealing to you, to any individual, once there are, you know, this is the best of things to do in Berlin this weekend, in, you know, Austin this weekend, right? Or or that are just going on an ongoing basis. So having having a breadth of information, but backed with really authentic ratings, authentic reviews, all that kind of stuff, I think will be really appealing to people as opposed to um, you know, wh where else do you find that? You can find sort of these timeout, you know, LA, timeout New York blogs and things, but it's one critic's opinion. So having a platform where your friends are on it, your your and your super geek friend in escape rooms, you know, Maria is on there and says this is the one to do, and your super geek theater person says try this weird immersive theater thing, and the community of people that are really into, you know, theme parks saying, this is the ride you need to go on, I think will be appealing to you. So it's, it's like, let the super geeks generate the passion and the data and that rich information that, that will help you make a great decision, the casual person, and also will help Google favor us and bring us to more casual people is our overall strategy. Sold. I am sold. Um, <laughs> But no, seriously, I totally, uh, I totally relate to what uh, what you were just now mentioning, because uh, for the past few months, I guess, uh, or maybe even longer, I've been looking for a hobby. Uh, so I tend to bury myself in my work uh, most of the days, and you know, then then spend time with my family for a few hours, and then you know, from time to time, just catch myself to a thought that, hey, Maria, you're a hobby-less person. <laughs> You have like literally zero hobbies, uh, but I used to have some right before I started also my company, and now I have zero. And what I what I usually think of is that, hey, I want to do something that I haven't done before, uh, and and where do I look for these experiences? The one that I kind of you know came up with is that, yes, I haven't snowboarded in Alps, so this could be like, you know, the experience I could go after, but it's very basic, right? It's super general. And, uh, and I think if there would be, if, and there is obviously Morty is, uh, you know, becoming that platform where people like me will 
potentially, you know, find new hobbies and, and things that are, you know, can catch their breath away. Uh, so I'm just super excited about the, about the product and see, and seeing how you guys can influence communities and, and kind of, you know, give passion to hobbyless person like me. <laughs> We're excited to help you find your next passion. Yeah. As we have more communities, we plan on having these almost ready player one style, you know, contests, right? Like metagames happening across different things. So you can join Morty and maybe you'll be thrust into a competition against, against people, you know, to gather as many experience points as you can, right? Like get as many XP. We'll suggest different things for you to do. You can try different types of activities, right? Go to Tiki bars, bar trivia, right? Whatever, whatever it is. Um, explore attractions in the metaverse. And then hopefully you find one or two of these that you want to double down upon. And that's when you can delve deep, subscribe to that community and start like get as geeky as you want as quickly as you want. There's some people that, that find Morty and rapidly go from having played, you know, one or two escape rooms to 20 over the course of <laughs> a couple months. And that's the, that's the experience that we really want to give. But basically now everyone can go on the app store, right? And just download Morty. Yeah. If you're an iOS user, you can find us in the app store, search for Morty. If you're an Android user, within a couple months, uh, the website, Morty.app, should be up to feature parity with the iOS app, but it's not yet. It's pretty rudimentary. We just shipped it. And so... Hopefully, whenever you're listening to this, we've added all the features on <laughs> on web, and hopefully we've gotten out a proper Android app as well. But at the very least, you should be able to log in on web and do everything. Cool. Okay, Andy. So what's your favorite tech tool and why? It's hard to say the number one. I have so many tools that I use. Okay, you can you can mention your top three. Okay, I'll, I'll just throw a few out there. Um, I think there's a cult of people that use superhuman and pay for email for an email tool. I'm one of them. I think that as a founder, it's really awesome to be able to type, uh, you know, hit, hit a, hit a key and then type in, here's a calendar invite I want to send. And it's going to be at, you know, 3 PM central time. Uh, and here's a zoom link and I can do all that within about five seconds. Uh, not to mention the email features themselves. So recommend that. I use what was called Command E, was acquired by Dropbox. I forget what it's called now. Uh, just to hop into a Zoom meeting in two seconds, just like it's always there. Oh, it lets me search across everything. Love it. I love the one that you sent me uh, where you recorded your feedback on the deck that I sent you. <laughs> oh, what was that? Loom or Grain or something like that? Not sure. It, I was like, okay, that this is advanced, like way, way better than writing down your answer as you know, someone who's like super kind of busy with everything. Yeah, Grain is great for transcribing meetings over Zoom, recording product calls, things like that. Loom, a lot of people are using to just record quick uh, screenshot feedback sessions. Now Dropbox has their own Dropbox capture tool that can kind of do the same thing. They're evolving their stack there. But yeah, there's there's so many tools that uh, I should make a should make a page about them at some point. This is already a really good list. All right, so going back to the part where LA is your favorite destination to build your startup from, 
Uh, and just knowing that, uh, you know, founders, especially in the early stage, doesn't have that much money, where would you recommend your peers to go out for lunch? Because Venice is definitely not affordable. <laughs> Venice, okay, so it has to be affordable too. I'm a connoisseur of non-classy foods, and I think that's that's one of the best things LA has to offer is amazing burger stands and taco joints. You know, some of them are classier than others, all the way up to nice sushi places and Korean barbecue. And I think I think there's a few things that LA does really well. Uh, on the, let's just say Mexican food side, if you're on the east side, you have a lot of options, but Guisados is great for tacos that are um, just like probably the best corn tortillas in town, I would say I've had there, but it depends what kind of taco you want. You go to Marisco's Jalisco for the best trim tacos. You could go to uh, Gorilla Guerrilla tacos for really awesome, the best fusion tacos in LA. Don't don't go to the Kogi truck or any of that shit. That's, that's, that's basic. <laughs> it took me a while to, to buy in in Korea. And then, yeah, just so many good authentic Mexico city style taco stands on the West side. Your options are limited. Go to tacos por favor for the best, te- best tacos and burritos probably. And they have a few locations. Uh, there are a couple trucks, but West side food is not what the East side is. And I, I say that as a West sider. What other genres do you need to do? Do you want to know about burgers? I mean, you know, you could just talk about this for a <laughs> I think I think we need to then hop on a different podcast uh, on another one where we just discuss food in LA. Obviously, you're very, uh, yeah, you're, you know, on top of your game here. So how people can find you, uh, can find you on internet? They can find my weird Lego art um, on Instagram slash Andy Bouch. They can find Morty at Morty.app. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and, you know, I don't really use Be Real, so don't try to find me on there. But Twitter, Andy Bouch, any, anywhere else, Andy Bouch. Nobody nobody uses that name. Uh, all the other Andy Bouches in the world are not as geeky as me, so I have all the handles. Good. All right, Andy. It has been a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for joining me and uh, hope to see you soon. Likewise, Maria, really enjoyed chatting. Thank you again for thinking of me. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.